Yo ho hello there, my name's Andy, this is the RR Show, today we are jumping into some r slash let's not meet. This BF episode 209, so grab your tea, your popcorn, and let's jump in. Our first story today is from Sinox. Satan's B&B. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. A story on here reminded me of the time some friends and I stayed in what had to be the third most shady hotel in Vegas, which, for Vegas, is saying something. When I managed to inadvertently traumatize the entire of my company as I recounted what I considered to be an amusing childhood story. The hotel itself was a bit of a nightmare as everything was bolted down and none of the doors locked. But I digress. I decided that this would be a good place to put it, given the input of my buddies. The story itself is about my family's run-in with Satanists on a trip to upstate New York. Though the growing expressions of disbelief and horror on my companions' faces assured me that the story was not, as I had previously considered, funny per se. In any case, what follows is completely true and everyone present swears by this narrative. When I was five years of age, we took a road trip, as was common in our family, up to New State, New York, to see my grandmother on my father's side, as well as to tour around the countryside a bit. There we were in rural upstate, away from the region in which my grandmother actually lives, and we were planning on staying in a bed and breakfast my father had booked ahead of time. It had been an unexpectedly long drive due to weather complications, and when we found the B&B in question, we were all quite tired. We went up to the door to check in, and a woman missing her two front teeth on both jaws answered. She invited us in, but warned us that they didn't have any room for the night. They were booked solid. My father protested that he made the arrangements in advance, but she said she knew another hotel that had vacancy just up the way, and she'd give him a call, and she assured him they would offer the same rates. But first, she insisted on showing my parents around, as her husband was an artist and she wanted to show them his studio and famous artwork. We were all invited in, but after seeing the first few pieces of naked women missing their front teeth, bound or being tortured in various ways, my parents opted to leave the kids outside with grandma. Apparently, most of the rooms were full to the ceiling with similarly foreboding images of dead or dying people with the occasional sculpture of menacing animals. My parents were a bit creeped out, but just figured these people were eccentric and they had dodged a bullet by ending up somewhere else. We all waited out back while the woman called her friend beside a pit containing what could have only been described as an altar covered with pentagrams. My mother mentioned that it seemed strange that not only had they not met the husband, who was supposedly there somewhere, having toured the entire house, 
But there hadn't been a single sign of life or piece of luggage suggesting that anyone else was actually staying in any of the guest bedrooms in this supposedly fully booked B&B. A side note that's probably not worth mentioning, but that I found strange when my mother brought it up while telling me the story later, as I was five at the time, a lot of the story has been narrated to me after the fact by different people who were involved on some level, was that we stopped by a park to stretch our legs at some point before proceeding to the next place. The storm was closing in on us and my parents wanted to be sure we had zero energy upon arrival. While in this park, my mother claims that one of us found and brought to her a small necklace with a pendant on it. The pendant itself was a pentagram on one side, with a third Reich symbol on the other. My mother took it away and put it in her purse. We arrived at the next bed and breakfast to be greeted by a different woman, also conspicuously missing her front two teeth, upper and lower. It was about this time that my grandmother mentioned that she had read a lot of articles recently about tourists being killed by some cult or Satanist or some such in this area. Great. She tended to tell a lot of tall tales, so I think my parents kind of rolled their eyes and dismissed it, but they made a point to mention it later. The storm was now upon us. We were all exhausted, and there was nowhere else to stay that we could find anywhere near. My dad decided we would make do with whatever they had to offer. What they had to offer was a slightly renovated barn. During the bustle of moving our luggage in, the woman kept inviting my brother, three, and I into the house saying she had some sweets. And wouldn't we like to meet her kitties? She made it clear, however, that my parents were not welcome in the house because it was too messy, and she would be embarrassed. We were herded away into the barn and told not to talk to the lady. Once inside, my father, who was by this time a bit creeped out, went back checking the beds and securing the one-room barn unit. The windows had no coverings whatsoever, and the doors had no locks. We placed pillows from the couches in the window frames, and my dad grabbed a dresser against one wall to block the door. When he went to move the dresser, he discovered it was on wheels, which were completely silent. He also noticed that the wall behind it moved a little when he shifted the dresser. When he scrutinized the wall, he found a seam. He pushed on the wall, and it gave way. Two invisible doors opening outwards into the night, and just outside was a dark-colored van, which had been backed up to the opening. Livid, my dad went about rearranging all the furniture in the room, stacking the heaviest against the outward-swinging doors and moving the mobile dresser with various loud objects behind it against the main door. When he had completed this, and we were all starting to settle down, it was about 11pm, the woman brought us freshly baked blueberry muffins. Now, as I mentioned before, I don't remember much of this trip, but this is one element I have a vivid recollection of. With the inclement weather and the rush to find a place to stay, complemented by the lack of restaurants, nigh anything in the area, we hadn't had what one might consider a proper meal. When you're five, dinner is very important. The muffins were fresh-baked and smelled heavenly. I wanted one more than I wanted anything else in the world, 
However, presuming, probably correctly, that they were poisoned or something was seriously wrong about them, since this entire thing was starting to feel like a horror movie, my mother absolutely forbid us from even going near them. She put them on a high shelf and sent us to bed. I was so angry, I went to bed hungry and irritable. Only two things happened that night that I can recall. My parents slept very lightly, when at all, as you might imagine. They claimed they kept hearing talking outside. My sister woke us all with a blood-curdling scream around 1am, for reasons unknown, as she was usually a very quiet baby. When my parents got up and milled for about an hour trying to get her back to bed, my mum noticed something on the wall as she was walking her around and called my father over. What I would later learn is that the picture hanging to the one side of the door that during the daylight seemed to be logs in a recently extinguished fire pit in a tranquil forest scene was by night unmistakably burning corpses with a hooded smoky figure looming over them. We got up the next morning, packed up early, and waited for the lady to get up so we could pay and leave. While my parents were packing the bags, the woman came around back and gave both my brother and I a small wooden cat carved into the form of napkin holders, each a different color, that she'd written little notes on. Now as my father was paying after loading us into the car, my mum began kicking the gravel around on the drive absentmindedly. The woman came over to say goodbye and waved to us with her gaped grin, and my mother noticed that she was trying to discreetly recover the tiles that she was uncovering under the gravel. Before driving off, my mother got back out of the car and uncovered one of the tiles, and she claimed it was the same pentagram with the Third Reich symbol within it that she'd seen a similar version of in the park, prompting her to notice as we drove away that the necklace was no longer in her purse. The likelihood of it simply falling out of her purse pocket she had placed it in, as she put it, quite unlikely. People listening to this story seemed appalled at the fact that I still have that little wooden cat that the nice lady gave me sitting in my bedroom. I know this all sounds very strange, but I can only assure you that it matches well with my memory of the events, and all of the adults who were there tell the same story and two of them are not known to extrapolate at all. Personally, I am glad it's just a weird story we look back on with confusion, and that nothing stranger happened that night. Bro, no, no, nope, 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 nope. What do you mean you stayed there? Are you fucking nuts? Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just found a fucking secret door with a black van backed up to it. Never mind, kids. Good night. No, I would have left. Why didn't you leave? <laughs> Run! <laughs> Run for your lives! Right, next story is from Skinnamarinky. Convicted murderer cornered me at work. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Several years ago, I worked at a crisis unit for the acutely mentally ill. 
It was a 10-bed unit where individuals would come to stay as a step down from a psychiatric hospitalization or a diversion to prevent psychiatric hospitalization. I often worked alone on the weekends. One Friday evening, we received an admission. Michael. Background info was provided with the referral indicating a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder and recent release from prison after serving a sentence for murder. I completed the initial intake meeting with Michael, during which time he said some sexually explicit things to me. I made it clear that this was inappropriate and that confidentiality was limited in that the staff working on the unit as part of his treatment team would be privy to anything said in the interview or subsequent one-on-one sessions. He responded well to the redirection. We finished the intake and I went about the rest of my shift until about 11pm that night when he approached the office to ask if I was working alone. Luckily, at that time, I wasn't alone and I told him that my male co-worker was in the adjoining office. After this encounter, I explained the situation to my co-worker who read my shift summary and decided to sit down with Michael and tell him the way he was acting was not acceptable and he could risk being released from the program if he continued. The next morning, I was working alone from 8am to 4pm. Around 9am, I went to wake up another client, Jeremy, to administer his medications. The room Jeremy was assigned to was at the end of the hallway, and he was usually slow to get up in the mornings. While I was knocking on Jeremy's door, Michael approached me to tell me that he didn't appreciate I had shared things he said to me with my male co-worker. I explained to Michael that he knew what he said was inappropriate, and that he knew anything he said to me would be shared with the rest of the treatment team. Michael became more agitated and got in my face, backing me into the corner in front of Jeremy's bedroom door. At this point, Jeremy had woken up and heard what was happening outside his room. Jeremy came out of his room, stood between Michael and myself, and told Michael that he needed to walk away and cool down. Michael went back to his room and I contacted my supervisor who told me to document the encounter and continue my shift. Needless to say, I left that job shortly after this incident. I'm thankful for Jeremy and that he had the presence of mind, while also being a client with a mental illness, to intervene on my behalf. I often wonder what would have happened if Jeremy wouldn't have woken up, or if he wouldn't have been in a more severe state of mental illness and would have become more agitated as well. Michael, let's never meet. This one has a fantastic title. In from Tidal Basin 83, Bearded, gore-loving woman in a hospital gown on the subway. A few summers back, after I'd just turned 18, a friend had invited me and some other friends to their family's second home in wine country. I was super excited and had agreed to meet my friends at a semi-distant subway, Bart Bay Area Rapid Transit Station. Since it was only a weekend trip, I had all my stuff in a backpack and my sleeping bag hooked onto that backpack. I'm pretty sure because of that, many people mistook me for a female vagrant and thus more approachable or maybe more vulnerable. Indeed, that subway trip alone, I had more weird encounters than ever before. That same trip, I got hit on by a man three times my age and screamed at by a homeless man who was asking for the time. However, by far the weirdest encounter that day and probably in my life 
was when the bearded woman in an open-backed hospital gown and hospital bracelet approached me. Now, I don't like to think of myself as discriminatory towards people with mental health issues as most of my friends are depressed in some form or fashion. Yet when that woman in a hospital gown and plastic hospital bracelet approached me, my mind went straight to all those horror films about people escaping from an insane asylum, which turned out not to be too far from the truth. To give a bit more detail on this woman, she was physically intimidating due to her very large and wide stature. She was at least 6 inches taller than me and weighed a good 70 pounds more. And most memorable of all, she had a large amount of sparse, patchy and wiry facial hair. When she started to approach me, I desperately looked down at my phone and tried to pretend I was anywhere else but on that train platform, hoping that she wasn't actually headed for me. That, of course, did nothing, and she sat right next to me. She first asked me if she could borrow my phone. I really didn't want to let this person borrow my phone, as not only did I need to save the battery to rendezvous with my friends, but there had recently been a string of cell phone thefts on BART. I was not about to let mine get stolen, so I gave her some excuse about my battery, hoping she would leave me alone. Unfortunately, my refusal was not a deterrent, as she took that as a cue to strike up a conversation. She asked if I was traveling, picking up on my large backpack and sleeping bag, and I said yes, but was trying to be as vague as possible. Then she asked where I'm going, and as I did not know how to deflect her and being too deeply uncomfortable to lie, I told her the truth, Napa. She then proceeds to tell me, how she had gotten locked up at a psychiatric facility in Napa after she had beat her husband with a phone receiver after he had threatened her. Feeling very glad that I had not given her my phone, I tried to defuse the situation by sympathizing with her over her awful ex-husband. That prolongs the conversation and she asks me again to borrow my phone so that she could show me a website called World's Best Gorvids. Apparently, there is a particular video she was a fan of that was a graphic video of a man getting his head run over by a tank. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not something I want to watch, ever. But especially not with the woman who had just admitted to savagely beating someone. Luckily, soon after, my train arrives at the station and I bought it. Unluckily, so did she. She kept talking to me during the ride. For my part, I tried to say as little as possible to not seem rude and anger her while also trying to make it clear that I was not interested in talking. She did not pick up this cue, or did not care. We parted ways a few stops later when she got off the train. She told me she was meeting her new boyfriend there and had wanted to call him, which was why she wanted to borrow my phone. I sincerely hope her new man does not have any phone receivers lying around. So, bearded, gore-loving lady in a hospital gown... Let's not meet. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. 
It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do, too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.